Hey, good people, this is your N.I. Dom back with another reflection, and this is a personal journal for contemplative people looking to think, grow, and have impact in the world. So, hey, I'm going to read a long quote, an extended quote to you, right from the tops. So here goes. An overwhelming, an overwhelming majority of us come from dysfunctional families in which we were taught we were not okay where we were shamed, verbally and or physically abused, and emotionally neglected, even as we were also taught to believe that we were loved. For most folks, it is just too threatening to embrace a definition of love that would no longer enable us to see love as present in our families. Too many of us need to cling to a notion of love that either makes abuse acceptable or at least makes it seem that whatever happened was not that bad. End quote. That's a quote from Bell Hooks, a feminist writer, educator, someone uh, I have been following, I would say, um, I would say since for about 10 years and I just found out 15 minutes ago that she passed away. She passed away on December 15th, apparently. And the only reason why I found out is because someone else that I follow who happened to be on the stage with her and they had this lively debate um, a few years ago. And I love that debate. I love the discussion that they had. And so I was looking for this other person, this other feminist that I follow. And uh, because she just took over a radio show. And I'm looking at the episodes. I'm trying to find out. I want to listen to it on podcasts. And so I'm looking at her episodes. And it's entitled In Remembrance of Bell Hooks. And I'm like, in remembrance of? You only say that when someone has passed away. And sure enough, I looked it up and she passed on December 15th. And today, another great woman passed away, Betty White. And I don't know. And I found that out maybe 30 minutes ago. So the reason why I started this episode, um, the last few episodes minus the one for teaching, um, have been about, you know, trauma, uh, familial trauma. And um, so far that I've done three episodes where I've tackled that topic. And I'm here to do another one. And um, in the previous episode I did um, on uh, gaslighting. And the purpose of that reflection was supposed to be about self-gaslighting. When we gaslight ourselves. And um, I fell into a number of rabbit holes that didn't allow me to get to the self part. And so it was okay. I didn't delete it. Um, I thought it, I figured it might be helpful just to do an episode strictly on gaslighting so that when we talk about self gaslighting, we'll have context for it. Um, so I planned on coming back to do a part two, if you will, to gaslighting where, where I want to focus on when we gaslight the self. And um, so when I read this quote, so I'm on Twitter and I'm looking at 
people who are talking about bell hooks passing because I'm like, how did I not know that? I follow I follow enough justice communities. I thought I did. Or I'm like, how did I not know that? How did that not populate on any of my threads? Um, however, on the platforms that I follow. But I guess I have been fairly unplugged uh, for the past few weeks. So I go to Twitter and I'm just trying to see like what was said about her and her passing. And somebody took a picture of this quote this page out of her book I never read it and um and I'm like whoa that's kind of what I want to talk about this self gaslighting to me that's the perfect quote to lead into a discussion about self we gaslight the self I want to read this line again here going back to bell hooks's quote um, like t- there are two parts that that ring that like that resonated me, with me when I read the quote. Um, one was that we, too many of us. I love that she says this. What she does is normalizes. I don't know if she would appreciate me saying that, but in a way, it's like normalizing that we're not okay. It's not just a few of us not that are not okay. The majority of us are not okay because we come from these systems. And we're and because we don't want to acknowledge that these systems are hurtful and harmful, we are we're normalizing the dysfunction. And then we pass it on. So I should say there are several things from this quote. That the majority of us, what does she say? An overwhelming an overwhelming majority of us come from, not the majority, an overwhelming majority of us come from dysfunctional families. Let's just pause there, right? I'm going to pause there for myself because I know that even though, you know, I'm, I want to do the work of trauma healing, I'm, I, I, I hit the uh, publish button and I sit and I go, okay. I have to remind myself why I'm doing this on a podcast. It's not easy. It's not comfortable at all. I believe it's important. I believe I'm supposed to do it. If even if it's not for now, I think there's uh, there's some work I want to do in the future. And I think going through this process out loud as much as I can, because I, I told you guys I'm not going to be able to do a a lot a lot of it publicly. But as much as I can share out loud, I want to. And I think that's going to be a value for some future for, for, ugh, struggling, you guys, for some future work I want to do. And so it's hard, though, because I've been thinking, well, if people find this from my job, what are they going to say? Really? What are they going to say? <laughs> like what? And I, and I, I said it uh, two episodes ago, I think. But I have to keep reminding myself. This is important work to do. And as educators, we all should be doing it. Most educators go into education because they want to rewrite something. They want to rewrite something that happened in their past. Most educators, they want to make a difference. They want to be something that they needed when they were younger. Not all educators, but I would argue many. 
but not many of them are doing the deep internal work. I know that for a fact. They're not doing the internal work. All right, let's go back to the quote. So before I go back to the quote, this is me talking to myself. I'm not talking to you. Maybe you don't have a problem with this, but I have a problem with it. I have to not not necessarily fear what, no, I don't need to fear what's going to happen when someone from my work finds this podcast. I don't say anything wrong. I just am vulnerable in this project, and I don't want to share that vulnerability at work. Although I'm getting better at doing it, so I'm super proud of that, by the way. Some things that I've kind of come to peace with, come to terms with through this project, now that I'm okay with it, I I am integrating it into my primary identity. I'm integrating it into my primary work, and I believe that's some good stuff, y'all. But until I can get okay with it, I push the publish button. I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> did you just say that? But this is the this is for the future me or the future coworker, or whatever current coworker, or whatever. The work that we do with children demands that we have the ability to go inward and check our own stuff. To understand it so that we're not passing it along. We're not getting frustrated about their behaviors because their behaviors are triggering something in us. It requires us to do that. And my own personal journey journey makes me the best candidate, if you will, in addition to my training and my degrees and my my experiences, my um, my my 30 years of practice qualifies me to get in front of students and talk to them about growing and achieving, being what they need, being all that they can possibly be. You know why? Because I am doing that and I'm not asking them to do something that I'm unwilling to do for myself. So, this podcast and this series that I'm in qualifies me, validates me, affirms me to do the other the, to the to do the work in my primary um, primary life. I have to keep telling myself that, y'all. I believe it, but it's in my head. That belief is in my head. It hasn't yet made its way through my body, so I'm going to have to say that. Until it becomes a part of a full body commitment and not just a head commitment, okay? So just be prepared for me to be on repeat. So I want to get, I want to do my disclaimers, but let me get to the other two points of this quote and then I'm going to tell you what I want to talk about because this quote was not my intended focus. It was just how I wanted to start this particular reflection. So the first thing that I've highlighted in the quote is that an overwhelming majority of of us come from dysfunctional families. The other there was another part of this quote that stood out to me was this. We we were she what did she give a list? We were shamed, we were ver- verbally or physically abused, we were emotionally neglected all while being taught to believe that we were loved. Hot diggity dog. Mm, mm, mm. That's it right there. That's gaslighting, right? 
I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm being abused. I'm being neglected. I'm being shamed. I'm, I'm, um, I'm being harmed. But you want me to believe that you love me. And this isn't, and what I love about this, she's not focusing the neglect of abuse on a romantic situation. This is about familial relationships. That's powerful. That's gaslighting. For someone to cause harm and then also expect you to believe that you're loved. And you can't say that you're not loved. And I know for me, when I went through, oh my God, I don't even want to unpack this or just start it because I know I'll fall in a rabbit hole. But the risk of doing that, let me say, I went through a season where I was like, I just, I, I, I'm not loved. I don't feel loved. And I was chastised for saying that. I was chastised. Chastised so much that I went through a phase where I started saying, I'm the problem. It's not that. People love me. I just don't know how to feel the love. I just have a, my perception is off. I have unrealistic expectations. I went through a, I don't feel that way. I'm not, I'm not under the, I'm not under that mindset anymore, but I went through that. First saying I wasn't loved, then saying I was the problem. Then I went another phase as I went back and I tried to teach. And I'm, Coming out of that phase, I don't know what the phase. I, I don't know what phase I need to be in now. That's that's really the question that's going to be for me to address, like moving forward. But we're not going back to the phase of normalizing the abuse. When I say normalizing, I'm just saying normalizing the work. That's probably a better way to say it. Normalizing. The healing work that we have to go through. Normalizing that that's part of growth. That's just a normal part of growth. Those of us committed to growth. That we're going to have to go back and do some of that healing work. Let me go to the quote again. If I could give you another part. Um, This was interesting for most of us. Like it's hard for us to challenge this idea of what real love is. Because then we would have to confront the fact of what we didn't experience. So if you give me this definition of love and I didn't experience that definition, then if I'm not ready to accept that, what I'm going to do is call that love unrealistic. And it's a romanticized love. It's an idealized love. Because I know that if I embrace that, that's this definition of love that you're giving me. If I embrace that, I have to look to my left or over my shoulder and go, but what was that over there? And that's not an easy thing to do. How many times have I been talking about talking in the last few days and I'll say, but I love my family, right? And, and part of it is that we're all, and this is one of the reasons why, and I've said this to you guys before, but one of the reasons why I like to say I come from intergenerational trauma. Because it ain't just me that's been impacted. I think that's the most significant breakthrough that I've had in this trauma work in the last year. It's intergenerational. I'm not the only one that's impacted by it. And like I said in the previous reflection, I'm also part of that ecosystem. I've been thinking about the one of my the response I gave to my sister 
when she was um, acting in a way, she was having a reaction to my reaction. And I responded a certain way that the, uh, there was a text that I was reading that says it's gaslighting when you when you respond in a particular way. And I was like, "Ooh, did I do that?" So I've been thinking. Go back to that. Um, go back to the episode called gaslighting, and I talk about that towards the end to know what I'm talking about. But I've been thinking about it until this point. I'm not pure. You know, my sister's going through this thing where she's trying to call me out. Like, um, like the, the standards that I hold, the, the person I'm trying to be. or Let me put it this way. The boundaries I'm setting for myself, the standards I'm trying to set for myself in relation to others. And she's on like three, three times since I've been here. Do you do that? Have you done that? And I think it's an interesting, it's an interesting kind of... Um, response to me trying to have standards for myself trying to have healthy boundaries and for her to say have you done it but you know what I do each time she's asked each time she's done that I pause and go I I hope I have I'd like to believe that I have but here's a better response if I haven't then I'm open to being held accountable I want to be held accountable. If these boundaries and standards that I'm setting for myself, if I'm not honoring that in other people, I want to be held accountable so I can grow. I'm not even going to try to, this is not about me being right and them being wrong or them being wrong and I'm being right. How do I say it? This is not about me being right and they being wrong or they being right and me being wrong. This is about growth so we all can be better. You know, that's... Yeah, that's all I'm going to say to that. So, um... Going back to the quote. This idea that loving... (laughs) If we embrace this definition of loving... We just we're gonna have to have a different narrative, a way of explaining our family, and we're gonna have to hold ourselves accountable, too, to that this standard of love. Um, and I think the last part of this quote that is something I'm I'm challenged with is this notion that is acceptable. That that experience, that familial experience is okay. Or it's not that bad. That's what I'm challenged with moving forward. I don't know what I'm going to do with it though. I seriously think this is, this is my greatest hang up right now in my life. This is the biggest challenge that I have. Because I genuinely don't know what to do with it. Because I'm not prepared to walk away. Maybe that's the work I have to do. I don't know. I've talked about it. That would be very sad for me to have to walk away from my family. But what I'm also thinking about is it's not fair to them to hold them to some standards that they're not interested in upholding. That's that's probably what's at the heart of my sister's pushback to me. Why well, are you doing it? Because y'all know when that T.I. shows up, 
I don't know. I don't, I keep wanting to make her be an F.E., but the test says she's not. The test says she's F.I. I don't see it. <laughs> I see the P. So if it's F, if it's uh, F.I., I don't see it. And the, she's tested as an ISFP. And I, I don't I don't see the FI in her. I see more FE. Her daughter's an FI auxiliary. I see the FI in her. Big time. Oh yeah, they all it's not always pretty. <laughs> Because my niece, boy, when my niece tried to um, F-I-T-E hold me accountable, that's interesting. We'll come back and, this is my 21-year-old niece, I can come back and talk that. I would like to love to come back and unpack that a little bit because I've been thinking about it. Um, I don't see that on my sister. She feels very um, F-E. Mm, she feels very F-E, but she also looks like a P. I mean, I know she's a perceiver. She's not a J. So I don't know how to reconcile that unless she was a T, right? Then I could say, oh, well, then she's T-I, top of the stack. And then, no, that wouldn't make that, that wouldn't make sense either, right? Yeah. Yeah. That she would be S-E-T-I-F-E. But anyway, her test says she's an I-S- ISFP, and because that's not really her jam to get inside that test and really explore it and look at the literature to find out what she really is, I can't get her to do that. So I'm like trying to, I don't know, I'm I'm vacillating between trying to respect the test results because she says that that's, that's where she's like, this is me. I'm challenged between doing that and... Trying to type her. And you guys know how I feel about that. Like, I don't believe we should go and type someone when they've already accepted, you know, a personality. But in, in, in her defense or my defense, this is not something she's really invested in. So I don't even think she would have a problem. But, um, I don't know where I was at. Why would I, why I fell into that rabbit hole about her being an F. Oh, I know why. Because I was going to make a case that, you know, I always say when that TI shows up, defensively um, but maybe that's an FI maybe that is an FI truth monitor monitoring you know do you do that you know I'm trying to I'm I'm, I'm, I'm presenting something and she's like do you do that and um, so maybe I don't know what I'm talking about because I'm not trained but I'm gonna get there <laughs> I'm gonna get there so anyway, um, I do think, I do wonder and I do challenge myself, is it fair to linger around people and expect them to live according to your standards? Even if you're, you can think your standards are right, but if you can't make other people want to live according to your standards and you can't analyze oh you know keep analyzing them and trying to make them grow i tell you that's an intj thing and i believe it's an eight thing as well um well i think it's an 
I do think it's an eight. I can also, I also see a lot of one there. But I don't, yeah, anyway, I'm not going to unpack that. So, um, I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, because I don't believe I should keep, requ- I shouldn't, I need to just respect people want to show up how they want to show up. Something else, uh, another quote from Bell Hooks that that really relates to this point about, do you move on? Do you move on? And and what is that going to mean? Because I'm also family oriented and I know that I want to, Family has always been a big deal to me. I don't, I sincerely don't know how to walk away. The best I can do is reposition myself, which is what I've been doing. And continuing to reposition myself. And I, I, I hope I've been doing that for the larger family. I don't want to call it my extended family because, because of how I was raised, um, those extended what would be considered extended family were like prime. They were caregivers for me. So I, they, you know what I mean? Like they were daily caregivers for me, not just, Oh, I'm going to go there. I'm going to go to my aunt's house for the summer. I'm going to go to granny's house for the summer. Like this was like a daily reality. So I've already repositioned myself with my aunts and uncle. And for the most part, I'm okay. I, I I go through seasons where I slip a little bit, but that's okay. Then I I have to calibrate back. I even believe to them for the most part. I've repositioned myself with my mom. One thing the real test is going to come is if she ever this really she's in a relationship right now. If that relationship ends, it's going to be a test for me. But right now she's preoccupied. So she's not trying to have access to me the way she did prior to the relationship. But it may not happen because she's also in this, her her best friend retired. So now her best friend has more time. So she may not. And that's all of that's good because it allows me to put a healthy space between us and for me to love her all the same. Because before when I would put healthy space with between us, she really was bothered by it. Not understanding why I'm putting that space in and not wanting to do the work of having a healthy relationship with me. I think Yeah, I, I I'd like to believe there's been growth though. I don't believe it is that our relationship is as Toxic as it was before my grandmother passed. But I know that a lot of that is because of how I have positioned us. How I, excuse me, how I have positioned myself with her. And some of that chat, the toxicity was me trying to hold her accountable in the video that I was talking about. I think, what did I say the guy's name? Jason? I can't even remember the guy's name. I think it's, is it Jason? No, it's Patrick. Okay, the video from uh, that the, the videos I've been listening to on healing work. Um, his name is Patrick. He says that once you figure out what kind of toxic structure you came from, you do need to like hold, hold those your parents accountable. And I'm like, that's not. I don't know if I agree with that because I think about that was the problem with my dad. My father didn't want to be held accountable. 
That's if if I dare, I did this. I called my mom after my dad had died. I was I wanted I wanted time with her as a surviving parent. I just I really wanted time with her, and she wasn't giving it. And so I was like, Ma. And I was like, You're ever come? I'm not. I haven't seen you. You've not come around. And she went from zero to sixty. If that thing is an expression. Like it, it went, it just got like extreme and dramatic and loud and screaming. And, and I'm like, yo, I just, <laughs> I just asked, could I spend time with you? And it was very, uh, then it, there was a lot of accu- accusations, a lot of, it was just, it was madness to me. And, um, and, and what I said is, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to engage with you like this. I was very calm. So I'm not going to engage with you like this. And I'm going to hang up the phone now. I'll call you later. And I hung up. I recently had to do that with my aunt. And she accused me of hanging up on her. In my mind, that's not hanging up. But I guess it is. Because I did. I ended the call. I don't, want to, I don't want to sit there and be on the receiving end of irrational, irrational talk. That's yelling and accusatory and it's hurtful. I don't want to be on the receiving end of that. So I said, I'm going to hang up the phone now. And I hang up. And my aunt was really, really bothered by that. No, no niece should talk, do that to their auntie. And I was like, and I'm thinking, now that I'm thinking about this guy's video on gaslighting, I'm thinking, okay, that's part of it. I shouldn't have hung up on you. But can we talk about what the auntie was doing to the niece? We're not going to talk about that part. We're going oh, we're going to skip that part. Oh, okay. I see how it goes. <laughs> you know. And I had to really do a lot of self-talk through that. And I, it was hard. It was hard. I and I I felt even though I never like I I just wrestled with myself, should I apologize? Should I make amends? What do I do with that? And the best I could do was just keep loving her. But based on this this exchange that I had with my sister, this blow up that not part of the exchange that um, that I just shared with you about my sister's like, well, do you do that? It came in the space of we had some conflict during our visit this time. And... My sister wanted to just move on like everything was fine. And not only just move on like it was fine, but like we're so close. And I'm just like shocked. Like, this isn't how we do things. But this is the third time I've said that this year. And I have to accept that apparently this is how we're doing it. Because we've had three conflicts this year. We don't, we haven't done that. And all of a sudden this year we've had three conflicts. What is that? There's something going on. I don't know what it is. But I can no longer keep saying we don't do that. And that's sad. We've turned another page. So, but to my sister's credit, as to each time we do talk it out. And I give her credit for wanting to do the work. Even though it's scaring me that she's, we're going south. Like, and I don't know if that's. Part of that can be authenticity, like blossoming, like like we're, our relationship is becoming more authentic. And maybe I've been wondering this, maybe all these years 
while we've been like doing this closeness, maybe she hasn't, maybe she's been feeling a certain way and now her speaking out and taking a stand or whatever she's doing, maybe this is her truth coming out. And so in a way that's good in my opinion, but, um, yeah, and it has to be okay. <laughs> it just has to be okay. So I'm trying to get to this whole concept of, of self gaslighting <laughs> and maybe I don't know what to say. Cause usually when I don't really know what to say, I start rambling about a lot of nonsense, nonsense or peripheral things. Cause I don't know how to get into the pocket of what I want to talk about. So that could be maybe self, self gaslighting is just out outside of my realm of, so I don't have enough knowledge of connectedness with it to talk about it because I'm, I'm talking, I'm talking around it though. So, um, yeah. So I have to, I think that's what I'm going to have to do. Like that's, I did a reflection a few days ago. I deleted it, but it was called the gift. And I'm saying that's what this year has been. It has positioned. It is requiring me to examine my relationship with my sister. And it is also making me wonder if some of that closeness that we profess, if it's a genuine closeness or if it's a trauma bond closeness and when our dad died and my sister was in town and she stayed with me I impulsively said hey let's go do some therapy together and I called my heart coach I was like hey can I bring my sister in and we into one of my sessions and she said sure but we have to do some work first as to why I mean, my heart coach made a list of questions for me to be able to answer. I was like, oops, I can't answer that. I can't answer that one. I can't answer that one. And I was like, okay, what are you doing? Why did you ask her to come into therapy? Because at that stage, I wasn't ready to say question our closeness. I wasn't ready to say that we're really stroke. We're going through something right now. I didn't want to, like, she's, that's my sister. And we are so close. And like, I didn't even want to confront the possibility that something was going on. I instinctively, I acted and said, hey, we should go to therapy. But when I went to think about it, I wasn't ready to embrace whatever my gut was telling me. I wasn't ready to embrace it. I wasn't even ready to process it. I couldn't even name it at that time. And a few days ago, I I was like, that's what this year has been. And so I'm hopeful that as I guess as we have these conflicts and we talk them through, then we're really going to get we're, that if we weren't close, we are going to get close. And all I can do is pray that we will continue to have a post-conflict conversation. And we're really good at it. Like, I'm super proud of that. I'm, and I think a lot of it, our ability to post-process like a conflict is because we both have these um skills that we've gotten from the our professional world and then we can bring those skills to the table and twice now and I'm learning this about my sister 
Twice, I want to process the conflict right away. And twice now, she said, maybe three times. Yeah, it has been three times. I think the third, there was one time that I, didn't, I wasn't trying to process it with her. So the two time, there were two times out of the three that of the conflicts that we had this year where I wanted to process it immediately with her. And she was like, nope, nope. And I was, I took that so personal. I mean, I didn't, I, it, it felt, it, I just felt like a core part of me was being denied, right? Because I wanted to talk it through. Let's problem solve this. Let's talk through it. Not because I want you to believe what I have to say. I want to understand what's going on. And uh, both times she needed space to do that. She needed to, time to think through what she was feeling and to think through and to her credit once we talked she we she was a rock star and we had the model conversation you can look you know we could record those conversations and we could use them as educational material because she knew that she needed she couldn't do that in real in 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 real time, like immediately, she had to have that time away. And I have been told, my ex complained about that, like my ex needed space. And one of my good friends would say, we're not friends anymore. <laughs> I know, I know I have problems with, with relationships, I really do. Um, but she said, you are able to talk through conflict in the moment. And you can do it with, you can, you can do it calmly, you can do it rationally. But I can't do that. And I think she may have said, other people can't do that. And you guys know I don't like, I, I told you, I don't like when other, when we bring in other people. And I had, I have had to learn and accept I do do that well. I can sit in, in the moment and talk things through. I think that's because I'm an NT. I think it's, I think that's because I'm a rational person for the most part. <laughs> Except I can't seem to get this this relational piece of my life worked out. That's the part I, I just don't know. But I think the gift of this year is the last, I believe there are two trauma bonds that I had that are re, being repositioned. There are only two left. I, my dad, well, well, no, my dad passed away. And even though that wasn't a, there was a trauma bond in that too. Um, I think, uh, when I moved, uh, almost two years ago, um, my mom and I were repositioned and I think we're better because of that moving. So I'm, that's good. But there were two left, there were two relationships that I was really fighting for and I didn't want anything to happen to those relationships. So much that I was doing some self-gaslighting, if I can ever get to even tell you what that means. But that is the area that I was doing. I was doing self-gaslighting to be in those relationships, though, in that way. And this year, I stopped. One, I completely stopped doing. And this thing with my sister, I don't know. I don't know how we're going to, I don't really know. I don't really know how it's going to be done, but I know that I have to do it. And that's one of the things I'm looking forward to on my drive home and just to really think about how I'm going to reposition myself with her so that we can have a genuinely close relationship and not a trauma bond performative relationship.
and you know she agreed I told her one thing about doing therapy a joint therapy session is that I would it would be an imbalance because of how much work I do how much therapeutic work I do without her having that amount it would I've done therapy with other people when if you're not at the same place that it's very difficult for that therapist to, to interact with two people who are on completely two different skill levels um, in terms of being able to t- go inward, being able to reflect, being able to hold you know yourself accountable, being able to communicate, being able to listen. Um, I've had a couple of co-workers, I've had a few co-workers as a matter of fact, like, wow, when I talk to you, it's like I'm in therapy, <laughs> like, or because like um, I was coaching one of my te- teachers and and she pushed back. She she accused me of she she made an accusation. I said something to the effect of not of needing to get to our core values because sometimes we're not always in touch with our core values. And she said, "Are you accusing me of not knowing myself?" And she did it like that. And I could have been like, "No, where did you get that from?" And no, and I, what I did was I said, "Hmm, give me a second. Let me process that." And I went in, for and then I, after I went in for a minute, I came back. I said, I don't think so, but here, let me sit. I'm going to, uh, let me, um, let me challenge myself. And I worked through what I was saying to her. And I said, maybe I should have a better way to say this. Is sometimes we have values that we don't have in our consciousness. We have unconscious values. And then that felt better for her. And I said, thank you. Thank you for pushing back because it gave me an opportunity to grow. So, you know, or I'll say someone was talking and they're upset. I'll say, or whether they're upset or not, I'll give it back to them. I'll say, can I tell you what I heard? Can I tell you what I heard? And I'll, and I'll say what I think I heard. And they'll go, yeah, that's it. Not many people use those strategies, you know, and I don't think I've gotten that, those strategies, particularly from therapy. I just think is I've been on a long journey of growth and trying to be a healthy person. And, but I mean, I still have work to do. And, um, and I think that, but I also think going into an joint session with my sister I don't, I think she's going to have to do some work before we go into that session. And she has acknowledged that and was going to, um, you know, I think she went and found her, her she found her heart coach. And um, so I, I'm, I'm hopeful that this year of us having those three conflicts, um, as painful as it is, it's so, so painful. I didn't even want to tell you guys. I didn't, I didn't, it's not, I didn't want to tell you. <laughs> I didn't want to talk about it because to talk about it would have made it real. I, I didn't want to talk about it, but, um, but I'm hoping that, I'm hoping that that's going to meet some, be meaningful for us. And I, I also say if it doesn't, I'm going to be okay. Um, because that's one of the things from this video, and I guess I do need to start closing. That's one of the things from this last video uh, from Patrick. I'm going to go to my notebook. 
And if you're listening to me and you've never been to this project, I usually do disclaimers, but there's sometimes I get caught up right away and I don't do them. You want to know more about me or this project, why it doesn't sound like a normal podcast, <laughs> you can go to my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. But anyway, <laughs> if you're still here, I guess it's all good. So um, in the episode that I did for gaslighting, I talked about this video I listened to, and I don't even know the name of the video. Um, oh, I think the video was called Self-Gaslighting, and I was like, hmm, what's that? And basically, it's when you begin to to negate your own perceptions, your own feelings, your own your own thinking, your own feelings, your own sense of reality, your own atten- your intuition, because you have been in that environment so long where you've learned to not trust. Or respect your own intuition, your thinking, your feeling, your senses, uh, your sense of reality. Because you've been in this extended period of time where somebody has questioned, has gas, you've been gaslit or they've gaslighted you. That even when those people aren't around and they're not doing the gaslighting, you do it to yourself. That's powerful. That's a powerful thing to be aware of. Um, Hold on a second. So an example of, this is a, when I said a good friend that we're not friends anymore, this is an example of how I've grown. So it's a, it's a self gaslighting. I don't do anymore, but I did do this. So I had, um, I've talked about these friends that I had and, um, you know, I, I was just very much committed to them being friends and, and being there for them when they needed me. And, but when I needed them, there were reasons, always reasons why they couldn't. And this one particular friend said, uh, I asked too much and I thought, for a long time, I believed that. I believed that I was asking too much. And I, I believed that I had unrealistic expectations for friends. That's what I believed. That's how I was gaslighting myself. Until I started going through the healing process. And I started going, wait a minute. <laughs> you called me at 2 in the morning. Because your now husband, then boyfriend or fiance I'm not remember don't remember that was in the house with another woman and you were out there getting to throw a brick through the window and you called me I got up got dressed to come and talk you off the ledge right that's oh okay that's good like there were like a number of events (laughs) where I've been there for people and yo I need you and I've never had to call you for anything like that and it's too much. So I had to go through a, a process of loving myself to believe, to learn my own worth. So when it, for me, I've always established my worth through my work. I've already said that to you guys before. That's where I, my worth was established in my work, in my production. You cannot question me. I'm good because I did this, 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 and that. 
And then uh, outside of that, what is my worth? I had to learn that because I didn't, unfortunately, I wasn't raised to know my worth. I was raised to question my worth. As a matter of fact, I was crazy, raised to not have worth over some. Like if somebody needed me, my and my worth was compromised, then I don't have my worth is not significant. <laughs> so anyway, so like these lopsided relationships, it was really hard for me. It was really hard for me to confront that because in my mind, uh, I needed to be a good friend. And I can't expect anything in return because it's, I'm asking too much. I have unrealistic expectations. And slowly but surely, as I begin to love myself for real, for real, for real, for real, and begin to establish my worth outside of work, then those lopsided relationships were no longer tolerable. They're just not. And... One by one, they I removed them. And I've talked about that before, but I never connected that to this work around worth and self-love. And so, so I believe that I have grown in terms of not doing this self-gaslighting, right? You know, um, but the area that is most familiar, which is why this, this conflict with my sister is a gift, because... I, especially since my father's passing, I don't, I'm, I, I don't know if it started after he died. I don't know why, but it, I've been noticing it. That it, the relationship, it feels very uncomfortable. And I don't know if I shared this with you all because I haven't said this to anyone yet. So you guys are getting this fresh. There have been a few times, my dad died in September. There have been a few times, more, more than a few times, where I talked to my sister, no conflict, no bad, no conflict, nothing difficult. And I get off the phone and I feel horrible. And I didn't initially understand that. I didn't initially, maybe I, did I, maybe I said this to you all. But if I have said it, it's just one time. Because I would have this feeling in my body. And I would start feeling anxious. And not because I'm watching, my, changing my relationship to food. You know, I now pay attention to how my body is right before I say I want to go get something to eat. Because I have to go through the process of going, is that anxiety driven or are you really hungry? And I'll have it masked like <laughs> I'm not even going to tell you. I would be lying to you if I tell you I have not been doing some stressful eating in the last five days. That is that that would be an absolute lie. <laughs> so I'm not trying to say I got it mastered, but you're catching this in real time, me doing this real work. And before I made that connection, I was like, why am I anxious? I was in a good mood. Why am I anxious? Why am I sad? And then it occurred to me, you just talked to your sister. And that was struggle. I was struggling with that. I didn't want to admit that. Like I didn't want to just didn't want to admit that. Because if I admit that, that would mean that the relationship isn't as close as I want it to be. And what does this quote? What does this quote say? 
when Bill looks um, for most folks it's just too threatening to embrace a definition of love that would no longer enable us to see love as present in our families. And I didn't want to see it. I don't want to. I don't want to see that my sister and I are not as close as I want us to be. I don't want to see that. But um, but that denying that or pre- pretending is a barrier to us actually being as close as I want us to be. And maybe I fear that we won't be. But. I'm re- I mean, I have to do that. I have to allow for that to present itself. And I have to trust the process. And I have to trust her that she would really want to do the of the work. I don't know, though. I don't know if she's there yet. And it scares the crap out of me. It does. It really, really scares me. But... My own healing and my own growth is dependent on me. Not holding on to somebody out of fear. You hold on to them out of love. Not fear. And um, so I've got work to do there, you guys. I'm not even... that. I've got work to do. And so we'll see. But that's kind of what this year has... Another thing about this year. Understanding that this... That the, intergenerational trauma and then just that my sister and I have some real growth work to do together and whether we will do it or not remains to be seen but it doesn't deny that it doesn't stop me from saying that we have to do that so anyway that's an example of self-gaslighting like oh I don't I, I would like like an example would be I get on the, get off the phone with her and I would feel bad and I'm like oh you're just in your head. Nothing bad happened in that phone call. You're just being sensitive. Oh, you want something from her that's not realistic, right? And my body is screaming out that something is wrong. And I will not, I was not willing to embrace that. And so in order to not embrace it, I had to take myself through a couple of like diversions, <laughs> lies, um, and so I was gaslighting myself. That's the perfect example. And I'm going to give you one more example of where I, I am, I have been self gaslighting and I'm ready want to make a difference uh, starting next week. <laughs> and it's at work. And I'm working with people who are um, professed. Let me say that differently. I am working with people who are, who say they're committed to doing justice work around race. And like I had someone who texted me once, a coworker texted me yesterday, like, "Um, I want to get this book. Do you want to do this book reading with me around racial justice? And, um, a couple of weeks ago, there was a, work, a workshop on where my coworkers came together and they wanted to they do this like monthly time together around racial justice work. And then there was another a group at the job that was doing some race work together. And I stopped going to those other two events. 
Because I'm like, your treatment of race work is very different from how I understand and need race work to be done. And as a minority in this predominantly white space, I can't do the race work with you like that. I can't. And it has to be okay. Now, can we do some race work together? Absolutely. But not that work. Because when we do this vulnerability stuff, you're the only one that can be vulnerable. Because that's what I've been learning. When I'm vulnerable and I say things, then they're uncomfortable and they start acting in a way that it makes me feel left out, makes me feel, I shouldn't even say left out. It makes me feel yeah, left out, uh, rejected. Well, you're, you, but the thing is, I was not seeking these connections. That's what's so interesting about it. I've not been seeking these connections with these people. Yet they've been clamoring all over me. Because they've done so much training on racial justice, they don't have an opportunity to practice being equitable. So here comes a black woman that you, that organization hasn't hired in years. Well, I shouldn't say years. It's been maybe two years. And even before that, it was one black woman. It's never been multiple black women. And it's actually never been black women or men. It's just, just one or two. Sprinkled here and there. And so you they they gravita- gravitated to me all of a sudden. I didn't understand that. I'm like, oh, they're really friendly. Oh, they really want to do this justice work. And then... Hold on a second. It is New Year's Eve and people uh, shoot off fireworks. But where I'm at, they shoot off guns. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, I need to move away from the windows. Um, so there was this like hyper gravitation towards me when I got there and this hyper sense of racial awareness. But as I've moved in and I've been trying to be my human self and trying to be authentically me. It's not, it's been, it's a problem. It's a problem. <laughs> and it's okay. But what the, where I say this is us, I was self gaslighting because I was feeling the discomfort. I felt the discomfort right away. I've questioned what was happening, but because they were using the right words, they were professing their commitment to racial justice. They were professing, Oh, we want to work with you. That the rhetoric, the verbiage, the mismatch between the verbiage and the behavior, I didn't allow myself. I I tried, I had to talk myself out of questioning it. My body was given, my, I could feel it, but I didn't have the evidence, right? You didn't say anything bad. You didn't say anything verbally that was bad. So that's the problem. Like, I think that's the problem being rational overriding that my, 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 that's what the guy said too. He said in order, cause he was talking about like what you have to do. How do you, one of the things you grow from, and I'm going to go over an hour, 
but I hopefully not too much, you guys. In order to heal from uh, being in a gas, you know, being gas, gaslighting, experiencing gaslighting and trauma. So when um, you are going through the healing process, one of the things he suggested is to do these affirmations. So you go back and you think about when you were a child and you weren't able to get your needs met, whatever your needs were. And now as an adult, you affirm that need. You affirm those needs. You, 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 and I, I did write this down. You affirm it by writing these statements that said, I have a right to this need. I have a right to my intuition. I have a right to my feelings, right? He said, but you, those affirmations will not be enough if you can't go back and identify when and how you were, you experienced gaslighting. And you can't understand how you were, um, how those, your intuition was wounded, how your feelings were wounded. You can't just, it's not enough to just be, to do these affirmation statements, which I really appreciate because sometimes people are like, you got to do these affirmation statements. Like, what is that going to do if you don't do the deeper work, right? And he said, one of the things he said, once you've done that, you're going to have to reposition your intuition to be in the place it should have been. Because part of that gap, one of the effects of gaslighting is that you no longer question your intuition. And so this is an interesting, and I'd I'd love to, I would love to have someone interrogate this with me. As a rational, as an NT woman, intuitive thinker, it's all about what's rat. I wonder do other INTJs do this? Because if I can't, Make it make sense. I won't allow myself to believe a thing to be true. I'm learning. A, a guy friend of mine, tw- almost 20 years, no, no, 15 years ago, gave me a book about how to listen to your body. And that was a game changer. And if when, I remember when he gave me this book, I was like, this is ridiculous. My body's not going to tell me anything. <laughs> but it does. It really, really does. You, those emotions show up in the body in, in unique places. And once you learn to listen for it, I don't have it mastered, but I do know when my body is communicating something. I'm learning to respect that. And this is an example at work. I was experiencing discomfort, but I had no logic to it. I didn't have any evidence of what was that there was a problem. And unfortunately, the evidence is starting to creep in because what I don't want to do is be paranoid, right? I don't want to walk around being paranoid. I don't want to walk around being emotional, you know, um, reactive. That's just something I, I don't want to, I don't, that's not who I am. That's not who I want to be. So trying to find that fine line between intuitively knowing, like intuitively picking up on the darker side of a situation because that's what I can do. And I've been trained to, I've been trained to know I've been trained to key in and observe and to understand name or not name to recognize the darker side of a person. Unfortunately, the shadow side, because I told some INFJs that I was doing some work with once I'm like, it's like I can I know, like, because they, they were talking about they know the feelings of others. I know the thinking of others. Um, and, and unfortunately, even when it's in the shadow, I know it. 
I can pick up on the thinking, the, the, the thinking of others, particularly when it's dark, fast. And I don't like it because I need the rational side of me wants the evidence of that thing, especially if I'm going to do anything about it. And so I have to, like this guy said, I'm going to have to, he says, you're going to have to um, work on onboarding the NI back in its rightful position. And he, he didn't say NI, excuse me, he said onboarding the intuition in back into its rightful position. And I'm like, oh, that's deep. As an NI dom, do I need to do some work on onboarding my intuition to be back in place? And not to say that I'm going to start reacting to people without having evidence of the thing that I'm intuiting. I'm not saying that. But what I do need to do is put the brakes. Like I, I think about how if I start another job, because this has happened to me twice now. One was in a predominantly black space and one was in a predominantly white space. But it was this thing that like there's this like gross gravitational thing like they pounced on me you know wanting to get to know me um wanting to connect and I don't know why that is I I have some th- some theories about why that is but I'm gonna have to find a way to just put some like and I never pounced back you know I never bared my soul but I still feel like there's something I need to do I feel like there's something I need to do so I can better assess the situation and not get crowded out by their rhetoric, by those pro- the proclamations that they're offering. I need to see it. So I, the thing that they're espousing before I give any indication, any, any indicator that I am going to respect it, I'm going to respect the thing that you're saying, I need to see it. So anyway, that's probably going to need to be another reflection, but but I think the point for in the self gaslighting is that I was in the rhetoric, I was in their rhetoric, and 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 there was something that my body was telling me it was off from their rhetoric. And when before I, as I was driving down to visit my sister, I said, "We're going to stop. We're going to reposition yourself with those people." And. Um, Yeah. So this is the last thing and I'm going to I'm going to close here. This is the last thing that I I have to say about this um this self gaslighting is that he talked about how he before he did this work. First of all, he said he had to have a mentor that he has that when you're doing this work you do need to have somebody that can hold you accountable to your own growth that can hold you accountable, that can support you. And I'm very thankful that I have the heart coach. That's one thing he said. But he also says, you've got to build a friendship group of healthy people who are going to hold you accountable for being healthy. Holy Toledo. And I just think about how, as I've been going through this health, this journey of being healthy and the people that I brought to me from my past before I was aware that I was unhealthy, as I started to become healthy and growing, instead of them su- celebrating that, supporting it, they poked at it, they challenged it, they tried to discredit it, invalidate it. Yeah, because it's, it's just not going to work. 
that I mean, I understand it now, but it, when I was going through this, I was like, why aren't they supporting my process? Don't we all want to grow and be healthy? No, not really. Not really, because to be healthy means we would have to make some different decisions. And so um, he said, that's just, he said, you have to go and get some healthy people, some healthy friends. And I was telling my sister that I knew someone who was like, I'm not going to do, I won't do friends unless they, I will not bring a person to my life unless they've done, they're doing therapy. And I was like, is that an extreme thing to say? But I get it. I get it because in therapy you learn these skills. If you, you know, meaningful therapy, you learn these skills. Um, so you have to have healthy people around you. You've got to re, you got to onboard the intuition right to back to its rightful place. And he said that he learned to be a good judge of character because prior to the work, he was attracting a lot of toxic people to him. And that felt so good for me to hear somebody say that because I, I just, I just think about the conflict that surrounds me. The conflict is not about when you hear me saying I have conflict, it's not about me taking money from people. It's not about me messing with someone's, you know, significant other. It's not about me lying. It's all about these boundaries and, and these standards of of health. It's fascinating. It's a fascinating thing about appropriate communication, communication, uh, boundaries, and living a living the cult, living a whatever you committed to, living that thing. And I think the, the greatest, the greatest gaslighting that I've experienced was back to this quote from Bell Hooks. The greatest gaslighting that I experienced was learning that love was also hurtful. That somebody can love you and they can hurt you and it's okay because the hurt is just really your perception because ultimately they love you. That was the greatest gaslighting I experienced. And that's the one that has taken the longest for me to unpack from the lie. And I'm looking forward to learning how to pick new people to be in my little squad. And I don't know how to do it. And I think it's make, it's incredibly difficult as an INTJ8. But I'm hoping that this is a breakthrough that will give me a better discernment, give me the, a better judgment to do that work. So... I don't know, you guys. <laughs> if this reflection has had any value for you, please give it a heart. I'm smiling right now because I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to do this work. <laughs> but you guys have to be here for it. And I don't, I'm not going to always talk about it either. You know, I'm, I am going to go back to talking about abstract things. That's, a, that's my happy. I'm going to talk about abstraction. But um, know that I am going to be doing this work and I will be sharing with you as much as I can. And I know it's going to be difficult. And I, I think the most significant thing I have to do is find some models, some models, some support systems. I think that's what I need to do. I think that might need need to be the first thing on my list. So anyway, if this reflection has had any value for you, give it a heart. If this conversation about self-gaslighting and this lie about love and um, 
abusive love. Um, what I, I, I started calling it a few years ago, I started calling it I can Tina love. I had to start doing that to get people in my family to get what I was saying. Cause I would complain, I would say this thing that you did is uncomfortable, it's making me uncomfortable, it hurts, or whatever. Oh, you know we love you. You sh- you know your love. You know we love you. As to negate the thing that I've just said to you that bothered me. So I was like, yeah, I believe you love me. I think that's an Ike and Tina kind of love though. So Ike and Tina were these music, musical artists. Tina Turner, I don't know if, if Ike is still living. I believe Tina Turner is still living. And he was abusive. He abused her, but he loved her. And once I started saying that, it was, that kind of helped me to communicate to them that, yeah, you can love somebody and hurt them. So one of the things I have to really rethink through, like this quote from Bell Hooks is, I have just come to understood it as toxic love, that it is a love, but it's toxic. And what she's saying is that's not love. She said it's, it, I don't know if she said it in this text. There was another text of hers that I read. It's just not, that's not what love is. It's another text. Let me see if I can find it. All right, let me in here. I found this on um, this website. I'm going to read to you where someone is talking about Bell Hooks. His name is Andy Beer, B-I-A-R, okay? And he says, When we understand love as the will to nurture our own and another's spiritual growth, it becomes clear that we cannot claim to love if we are hurtful and abusive. Love and abuse cannot coexist. Most of us learn early on to think of love as a feeling. When we feel deeply drawn to someone, we cathect with them. C-A-T-H-E-C-T. We cathect with them. That is, we invest feelings or emotion in them. That process of investment wherein a loved one becomes important to us is called cathexis. In his book, Peck rightly emphasizes that most of us confuse cathecting with loving. To love somebody is not just a strong feeling. It is a decision. It is a judgment. It is a promise. Whew. My, my, my. Well, that's a lot, y'all. <laughs> so anyway, it's this conversation about loving and um, self-love, self-worth, and um, accountability. And I feel like there's so much here. And... Um, self-gaslighting and healing. If this is part of a conversation you've had in the world, would you please take this link and share with those participants? Do a meaningful share, please. And if my moving about in this reflection has caused you to have your own randomness, I would love to hear that. You can find me on my website at yournidom.wordpress.com, Twitter, yournidom1, Facebook, nidom leadership, and YouTube, yournidom. Let me give you your homework assignment. Hold on. What are the ways in which you self-gaslight? How do you, I think, I think a bigger question is how do you, let's see, how do you zero in on an internal conflict? Because I think in order to know when you're self-gaslighting, you have to first understand there's an internal conflict. There's a gap between a desire or a need and how we rationalize that need or desire. 
how do we prevent ourselves from getting that need met, from getting that desire met? We have a need or desire, and then we talk ourselves out of getting that need met. It's a form of gaslighting. So you have to first think about areas of need, areas of desire in which you will not allow yourself to pursue. What is an area of desire or an area of need that you have that you have not allowed yourself to pursue? And then the next question is, what do you tell yourself to prevent you from going to get that need met? This makes me want to cry. I feel emotional asking you this question. What do you rationalize? How do you logic? How do you, what do you say to yourself that will prevent you from getting the need that you have met? That will prevent you from having the desire to pursue it, to getting that thing that you desire. And I know desire is a little t- tricky because all desires aren't good, right? So, but assuming it's a healthy desire, right? Now, if you design somebody else's significant other, then well, no, no, <laughs> we're not doing that. <laughs> but <laughs> a healthy desire. What do you do? What do you tell yourself to prevent you from going after the, that healthy desire, that need? That's where I, that's my assignment to you. You guys, it's been a pleasure hanging out with you. I have two more reflections I have to do before <laughs> before midnight, so I can meet my goal. Um, I'm um, those of you who are um, listening to these and immediately bless you. You do not have to. I'm going to be quiet for the rest of Jan- January, and so you have time. You don't have to listen to all of these reflections. You have time, okay? Um, but it has been a pleasure hanging out with you until I come back. Be well. Bye.